will find my way. I can pod the castants, though the movie's lame. Somehow I'll podcast, and though each minute needs like five edits, I would pod most any cast to find where pod podcast. <laughs> Oh, I didn't expect you to work the word podcast in so many times. <laughs> I tried so many different songs and I ran into two problems. Number one, none of them have a good spot to put podcast, really. <laughs> and this one's no different. Uh, that's problem number one. Problem number two, almost every song in this movie is sung by women. <laughs> or, you know, there's there's this one song which is designed to be sung by Michael Bolton. And I'm a baritone. My my answer to this movie is two words. <laughs> okay. <laughs> everybody and welcome to me mom and the mouse a podcast about the joy of watching cartoons with your family we're watching every film in the disney animated canon and talking about how it was made what it means and why we love it or don't my name is isaac coleman and i'm joined as always by my mother rue coleman hello isaac hello and of course we want to give a very special shout out to our editor brad murray at oak studios thanks for all the work that you do you know They should slap your face on every vase. You mean every vase. This week on the program, we are almost done with Disney's Renaissance era. (laughs) Talking about 1997's Hercules. Honey, you mean Huncules. Directed by John Musker and Ron Clements. Yeah, you got them right. (laughs) I sure did write it down. (laughs) Mom, what does this movie mean to you? Well... I don't think we saw this one in the theaters. I know we owned both the VHS and the soundtrack, and I think we probably got the soundtrack around the time the movie originally came out. I'm wondering if it was a gift, because I don't know that we would have gone out of the way to buy it ourselves. I'm pretty sure we didn't go see it in the theaters because, you know, the last couple of movies hadn't been so great. So we were probably getting into more of a wait and see (laughs) with the Disney movies before spending money on them. But then, of course, this one was an American masterpiece. Best movie you've ever seen. So (laughs) just had to get it. I remember liking it again. It could have been presents because that's how that goes. But I remember when I first saw it, liking it pretty well and enjoying a lot of the songs and laughing at a lot of the jokes But I don't think this movie has aged very well. A lot of the jokes that were funny way back, you know, in 97, or if it was not until the VHS came out that we saw it, 98 (laughs) or whatever, are not quite as funny as they used to be. Yeah, I uh, obviously was introduced to this movie as a kid. uh, And to me, it was just like a Disney movie, right? Like even though it had come out, Technically, you know, after I was born, it was like, well, it's on the VHS shelf with the VHSs. Yep. I guess it's a movie. (laughs) And I really liked it. Honestly, maybe it was just because, as we've discussed, like male main character. But I this would have it was never like absolute favorite, but it probably would have been like a top 10 Disney movie for much of my childhood. Yeah. I had not seen this for Over a decade, the last time I saw it was freshman year of high school, where for some reason I distinctly remember we watched it in social studies class. (laughs) I'm guessing that was like a dead week 
I don't have a lesson plan. Here's Hercules. Um, <laughs> my social studies teacher was pregnant and did leave halfway through the semester. So didn't learn a lot of technically geography it was a geography class, which uh, for those outside of the United States, Americans, we don't know geography. We don't like it. We don't trust it. <laughs> anyway, even up to that point, like I really liked it. I thought it was funny. Again, I liked the music. Mm hmm. Last night we watched it and I was like, OK, I know this movie doesn't have a great reputation and I can like imagine in my head things that probably haven't aged so well. I'm I'm guessing I won't like it as much, but I'm hoping to still like it. Maybe nostalgia will carry it through. But man, this was a nostalgia buster. I mean, it's not <laughs> completely horrible. Like to me, you know, the Renaissance era, it's like all the other movies and then a small gap hunchback and then a big gap Hercules and then, you know, <laughs> A, a crater and somewhere at the bottom of that is Pocahontas. <laughs> but uh, but this movie isn't good, unfortunately. And yeah. I really liked it. And uh, now I don't. As you say, <laughs> it has aged really badly. It's not a timeless movie at all. No. And I think a big part of the reason this movie doesn't work is because I think it. no one really like cared about it. It didn't really have a champion. It was nobody's passion project. It really wasn't. It was originally pitched by animator Joe Hader at one of Katzenberg and Eisner's famous gong shows that we've we talked about the first one previously. This I don't believe was the first one. I believe it was a but it was the same thing, you know. Right. They did it more than once. So this movie started with animator Joe Hader and the first of the famous gong show meetings Eisner and Katzenberg would hold. Uh, we've talked about this first meeting several times. A lot of stuff came out of it. He pitched an adaptation of the Odyssey, which actually started some pre-production, but didn't get very far because it's the Odyssey. <laughs> it long for a uh, for an animated feature. Mm -hmm. It's really long. And uh, here's a complete list of things from the Odyssey that you can keep and portray in a Disney movie. So <laughs> he uh, he wanted to do a different story, but he decided to just focus on Hercules and just one specific part of Hercules's life. And uh, it was approved for development. Hader wrote a page and a half outline, and it never really went anywhere. Meanwhile, Clements and Musker uh, have just finished Aladdin. So they've just had Disney's, you know, each of their movies so far, discounting, of course, Great Mouse Detective, but each of their Renaissance movies have been Disney's biggest movie. Yeah. So they are like, listen, we've had these big successes. We want to do our passion project, Treasure Island in Space. Like, that is what... We want to do, we've talked about how that was also at the very first Gong Show. And, well, let's go ahead and play the jingle. Yeah. Katzenberg would not let them. And basically, you know, I believe it was Musker who said since then, like, he doesn't think that Katzenberg would have ever let them make Treasure Island in space. Yeah, uh, it was always going to be the carrot. He would dangle in front of them, like make one more movie and then you can make Treasure Planet. <laughs> so th in this case, certainly he was like, absolutely not. No Treasure Planet. We're not doing that. And basically he was like, here are all of our existing, like partially developed projects. Take one of those and do something with it. I imagine it being a bin full of papers. It probably wasn't. <laughs> 
But Red is just like, here's some garbage. Take one. And he he apparently thought Treasure Planet was worse than the garbage. Yeah, I know. Uh, which, in some fairness to Katzenberg, for what he's thinking of, which is financial prospects, he turned out to be right. Uh, I am a Treasure Planet defender, to be sure, but it 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 made no money mm-hmm. <laughs> and it killed two D animation. In part, it it certainly didn't help. So anyway, they they decided to pick up the Hercules pitch. They weren't really into it, but the idea they got into was Musker and Clements are apparently big superhero fans, especially Mm -hmm. DC superhero fans, which their next movie is actually going to be their first non-Disney film, and it is a a DC superhero movie of some... I forget what it is, because it's adapting some comic that only dweebs have heard of, but... (laughs) And if you correct me and tell me what it is on Twitter, you're just telling on yourself as a dweeb. <laughs> uh, it's called Metal Men. Their, their next movie will be Metal Men. I don't know. I've never heard of Metal Men. Scraping the barrel. But anyway, speaking mm. of scraping, the barrel full of pitches. So they <laughs> they thought that they could do Hercules as a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. And I had never thought of that before this viewing, but watching it last night, you really do go, oh, this is the Christopher Reeves Superman. Like, Yeah, I never would have thought of it either. But, you know, we pointed that out before we watched it and it was like, oh, it does hit a lot of the same beats. <laughs> like to, to a kind of ridiculous degree. But that's the thing, right? Everything I read about Musker and Clements working on this movie, it's like they were like, well, we're not in. It's like they were trying to amuse themselves yeah, right. working on a project that clearly bored them. Um, so another example of this is they were like, let's really push the animation into some interesting places. Mm-hmm. And they started by really trying to base everything uh, on Greek art, uh, both ancient and more contemporary Greek art, also Turkey, interestingly enough. So they toured Thebes, Mount Olympus, the Acropolis, the Turkish coastline. They did a whole bunch of, you know, art studies. You can find many of these pictures online. And they came up with a bunch of the effects you see in the film where like the trees, uh, you know, uh, people's elbows in this, right, are swirls (laughs) and stuff. And, you know, the fire looks like columns and the waters look like vases. Um, I'll actually show you, Mom. Can you tell what this is? This is the first concept art of Meg. And what you're looking at is pictures of vases or vases Mm -hmm. uh, arranged into a person shape with like a column (laughs) in the middle of them. Yeah, I see that. I was looking at this first one at the the legs and feet going, what? (laughs) And so that's how they designed a lot of the characters was like building them out of vase and column shapes. Mm hmm. But so they're working on this Greek art style that's very kind of simple and bold. And again, looks like you could find it on an old piece of pottery. Yeah. And Musker was a huge fan of an artist named Gerald Scarf. And Scarf, I did not realize his involvement in this movie. Scarf is a guy I really like. He's a British artist. His work is very cynical and mean spirited, but in a good way, I think like he he takes on like racists and hypocrisy and Mm -hmm. British imperialism. Not a fan of that. Uh, I know him best for making the animated sequences in one of my absolute favorite films, Pink Floyd's The Wall. Mm -hmm. And one of my some of my favorite like animation work in a movie ever in that. Like I, I have a piece of Gerald scarf art on my wall. Cause I have the mm-hmm. poster for that movie that he drew and designed and 
even like wrote the the text on. So uh, by the way, not for kids. <laughs> Watch that when you're 18. You know what? Let's let's do full 21. Yeah. Once you can drink, then you can watch the wall. <laughs> and he like has similarly a, a style that is all about edges and big swoops and very flat drawings on the page. The character designs he did for this movie, he would draw on huge pieces of paper four feet long because he would draw with his whole arm. Wow. You know, he didn't draw at the wrist. He would make these huge sweeping drawings. And so his work is all these big lines. And Musker was a fan of this guy. He'd been collecting his art and he was like, hey, the the work we're doing has some similarities to this. Mm -hmm. So they actually brought him on as production designer was his position. And he kind of set the art style for the movie. He did a lot of the first pieces of art on it. Which is really cool. And last night, again, watching it, <laughs> there were certain characters, especially like the citizens of Thebes, like the guy who's just a weird nose as a person. <laughs> I was I was like, this reminds me of something so much. I don't know what it is. Gerald Scarf. There you go. A lot of his designs uh, for like the bad guys uh, and the fates and Hades and the Hydra are almost one-to-one what was in the movie. Also, Pain and Panic. I was going to say Pain and Panic seemed like they'd been his style. Yeah, because he draws very... He draws creepy stuff a lot of the time, you know, scary stuff. And so the the problem they had, basically, was that uh, Scarf's designs are very hard to animate, as he himself knows from the nightmarish process of working on the wall. And he would work with them, right? He actually had to fax all his drawings to them because he was in London, but they did have this retreat in Santa Barbara Mm -hmm. where, uh, quote, Scarf himself took some time to understand how he thought about things artistically. Scarf would hang the animator's drawings up on the walls and critique each one, explaining to the artists how he himself would have drawn it. Sometimes Scarf even drew right over the drawings of the animators, as he did for Ellen Woodbury's drawings of Pegasus. He was especially careful to correct the animators when they made anything too fluffy, as he did for Anthony DeRosa's initial drawings of Zeus's beard. <laughs> as we know in the final movie, Zeus's beard is like a, it's like a solid, it looks like a piece of like sheet metal. <laughs> it's, it's like swirls all connected together. But his work is very hard to animate. So Sue Nichols was the concept artist who really bridged the gap. Uh, and she talked about, I can't remember where I saw this quote, so I can't quote it, but she Basically talked about like how they gave her, you know, you have to work in the Disney style and you have to work in this Greek style and you have to combine Gerald Scarf's art. And she made character designs that are basically uh, what you see in the movie with some other people did some other things, but she's the one most responsible for the final look. And she she did. I mean, she managed to bridge those three things together in a really impressive way. Yeah. Sue Nichols, she started in Cranium Command, interestingly enough, (laughs) a thing I can't believe we keep talking about. Right? (laughs) (laughs) But her, like, biggest work is, uh, of course, in the Musker and Clements movie, Princess and the Frog, almost there, that very stylized sequence, that is her work. Ah. Like, one-to-one basically translated to the screen. Um, So that's kind of her art style. And so halfway between that and Gerald Scarf, you get uh, Hercules. I'm going to send you real quick uh, my favorite piece, I think, of Gerald Scarf concept art, (laughs) uh, which is, so again, the animators are having trouble understanding how his crazy, sharp, 
over-exaggerated caricature drawings would move. Right. So he would do a lot of explanations of how they would move anatomically. So he actually drew picture uh, this picture of the fates not wearing any of their like long robes to show <laughs> like how their anatomy would and it's not like you're not seeing anything inappropriate it's just to understand like what the bodies look like under the outfits right. and he's written on this piece of art as you can see shape of the fates without clothes a ghastly thought yeah very ghastly indeed very ghastly very disturbing so that's how the very interesting, unique uh, art style of this movie evolved. <laughs> Just to talk about the movie itself, I guess, you know, whatever, that nobody cared. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, in a very, in a jerk move, apparently Musker and Clement specifically shut Joe Hader or Haydar possibly out of, you know, the movie he'd pitched. Uh, for, he would post later on Facebook, which, you know, who knows? He said, he said, but like, Seems like you would get the guy who actually cared about the story to work on the story, but they didn't really. One thing that was interesting to me in developing the story is who they originally wanted for Hades. I don't know if you saw this. Um, I did see a long list of people they were interested in having for Hades, but weren't they going to try to get Jack Nicholson first? Yes, that was who they really wanted at first. There is art of uh, Hades as like, very much a Jack Nicholson caricature. They even did the same <laughs> thing they did for Genie, uh, where they, you know, did like pencil tests of him doing some scene from some Jack Nicholson movie. I forget which one. And they really had to sweet talk him. But it seemed like especially after like they gave his kids his tour of Disney and they really seemed to be getting along with him. But there was a problem, which is that Jack Nicholson knew his own worth. Right. He wanted to get paid a lot of money. He was a huge star at this point. And in fact, what especially like made him demand so much money and why you don't see Jack Nicholson in, in stuff as much like 90s and well, especially after the 90s is in Batman 1989, mm -hmm. a, a terrific film that I just recently rewatched. He had agreed to take a smaller salary uh -huh. But he had taken a cut of box office and merchandise. Yeah. And I bet he got a lot of money out of that. Yeah. The estimate is that he made 60 to 90 million dollars from that, <laughs> like, which is incredible. Um, so he wanted, you know, he wanted those points on the back end and he wanted merch, too, because he he knows how Disney movies make their money. Yep. And. Eisner was like, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, and then he wanted 10 to 15 million in the actual paycheck, plus 50 percent of all the proceeds from Hades merchandise. And Eisner counter offered. So he wants 10 to 15 million. Right. Which, frankly, for Nicholson, not crazy. How many Oscars had he won at this point? You know, and, <laughs> and like how many great roles? And again, Batman, it, like right. Eisner counters with just frankly, an insulting five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> uh, and so guess what? Nicholson's not doing that, which I, I bring up because, again, it's interesting how we are in somewhat the post Katzenberg era in many ways. You know, he's involved mm -hmm. in the beginning of this movie that gets starred 93, 94, but he leaves in 94. Yeah. And he probably would have just paid Nicholson or at least negotiated with him. Right. Because he would have been like, 
again, his thing was always he wanted to be friends with celebrities. He wanted to be the great deal maker. And Eisner hated that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he especially hated paying actors. Famously, he had like a cap and he was like, no actor is worth more than this, no matter what. <laughs> and so that's why they're again, he was a jerk to Jack Nicholson. And, and so he didn't do that. Yep. I saw your, your boy Willem Dafoe could have been Hades, too. They auditioned a whole lot of people. Defoe would have been interesting. The one after Nicholson that got closest to the point of actually starting to record some of the lines before they decided he didn't work was John Lithgow. Mm-hmm. I, I found out, it by the way, it's Lithgow. I've always said Lithgow. Yeah, me too. But they, they didn't go with him. James Woods actually had auditioned and they didn't like him. They rejected him, but they... With Lithgow and like with starting the animation for Hades, they were using his temp track, you know, just to like do pencil tests and stuff. And they're like, this is actually kind of interesting because while almost everybody else was playing him, you know, again, you think about Jack Nicholson and a lot of things with very like evil energy and like I am Hades. He was playing him very manically and energetically. And again, as this kind of Hollywood deal maker. And in fact, It makes a lot of sense while you're watching the movie, but Musker and Clements have actually even admitted this now to to as much extent as they're going to be able to. Hades is Jeffrey Katzenberg in this. That's pretty funny. Katzenberg was a fast-talking schmoozer who hated that he was consigned to the animation department and wanted to be in charge of the whole company. Right, right. And uh, that, you know, Hades is that, uh, but with the underworld. So they... They did a lot of stuff specifically that Katzenberg, the way uh, Musker put it diplomatically is Hades says a lot of things that were like things Jeffrey Katzenberg might have said. <laughs> uh, I suspect they put some real quotes in his mouth. I also wonder, if, you know, Jeffrey Katzenberg, obviously Jewish. I mean, Katzenberg, oy vey. Uh-huh. If that's why, like, there's so much Yiddish stuff from Hades in this movie and in the subsequent TV show or Maybe that's James Woods, uh, a guy who believes every anti-Semitic conspiracy theory he's ever read, unfortunately. Maybe that's him throwing in some stuff. It's hard to say. Uh, whatever. And James Woods is unfortunately a monster, but he's pretty good in this. <laughs> True. So, yeah, uh, another thing interesting with Katzenberg's departure, he, of course, pretty quickly uh, founded DreamWorks with Spielberg and uh, his pal Geffen. That's DreamWorks SKG, where once again, he was not allowed to do anything other than animation. And it made him ma- at least at Disney. He was in charge of features. Mm-hmm. He's only in charge of animation at DreamWorks, and it made him extremely mad. But he immediately starts trying to poach Disney animators, offering them huge contracts, A, because, you know, he wants the best animators in the biz, but B, because anything he could take from Eisner, right? Like it's a personal vendetta. Oh, for sure. So, of course, Musker and Clements, again, they've just had these two gigantic hits. They can seem to do no wrong. He offered them a big offer. And in exchange, (laughs) Eisner not only had to renegotiate new contracts to pay them a lot more. Awesome. But those contracts included a stipulation that was, we promise after you finish Hercules, which is in development, your next movie will be Treasure Island in space. (laughs) So 
Katzenberg inadvertently led to Treasure Planet happening. There you go. And of course, you know, this movie, he's the bad guy. He would get his own with a mean caricature of Michael Eisner and Shrek. So, you know, don't don't feel too bad for him. (laughs) If you do, you haven't been listening to this podcast. And then the music, uh, Alan Menken does not like this score (laughs) uh, and didn't like it at the time. One of the big problems he had was they settled on this idea of a Motown gospel uh, Greek choir, of course, the muses. Right. Guardians of the arts, proclaimers of heroes. Yep. He felt like you're just doing what Ashman and I did in Little Shop of Horrors. And he thought Ashman wouldn't approve of that. Uh, Again, you know, unpleasant memories of like working with his now dead best friend. Like he had a lot of emotion. So he really didn't like the Motown aspect of it at all. Mm-hmm. He eventually kind of was convinced to do it, but he didn't really like it. He doesn't really like it now. And I think you could tell, like, the the Hunchback score is so transcendent, and this one is mostly asleep at the wheel in terms of the actual score. Now, funnily enough, even in autopilot, Mencken wrote great songs. It's true. Like, all of the Muses songs are awesome. They are. <laughs> Some credit to lyricist David Zippel. Definitely, definitely. But uh, but yeah, again, just this movie, like, <laughs> even though I think it is an autopilot, I think nobody was too passionate about it. The Disney machine is just humming along so well at this point that as long as you're not, I don't know, making a movie about the genocide of Native Americans, you kind of can't go too wrong. <laughs> right. However, this movie was the biggest financial disappointment of the Renaissance era. It's still made its money back, but what I read said it didn't do so until VHS, Uh, uh, until those sales started happening. And I believe that looking at the budget and box office and everything. So, you know, not very good. Because that's the thing. Also, one thing I read is Musker and Clements were like, this movie could be a big financial success. Like Hercules is very popular. There have been many film adaptations for for various reasons. I mean, he's in the public domain and he's a cool, strong man. Uh, There was a whole industry in Italy of Hercules movies, much like the spaghetti westerns, many of which would make their way onto Mystery Science Theater 3000, uh, leading to many of their best episodes, frankly. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Deep hurting, etc. And this whole movie is extremely commercial obviously like yeah you can really tell that this is the movie uh for for hunchback of notre dame they had to do burger king toys for this one they repartnered with mcdonald's there's so much mcdonald's stuff in this like there's so (laughs) many references to it it's it's crazy you know this movie really was just and, and musker and clements are thinking like okay if this is a big hit if we just make it as commercial as possible then we can make for heaven's sakes, Treasure Island in space. <laughs> Clearly the best idea for a movie anyone's ever had. <laughs> That's more or less the uh, the history of, of Hercules. Uh, would you like to lead us through the voice cast for this movie? Sure. First, we have Tate Donovan doing the voice of Hercules when he's grown up. How do you mean Hercules? <laughs> Yes, not Heracles either, by the way. Hercules right. is his Roman, the Roman version of his name, as opposed to Heracles, which is the Greek version. But more people knew the name Hercules than Heracles. So they went with that, even though everybody else's name is the Greek version. So 
Honey, you mean hunkacles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that just doesn't work as well. <laughs> they couldn't shorten it to Herc, which yeah. they love doing in this movie. They do. I mean, that's a thing they just have been doing a little bit, but everybody's got a nickname in this. You've got Herc, you've got Phil, you've got Meg, you know. Yeah. I'm surprised they don't call Pegasus Peg. <laughs> Peg, it will come back to you. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Tate Donovan even did the voice on the TV series. I didn't see that he's been in a lot of... What else is Tate Donovan doing? He's he's a default hunk. Yeah. He needed a default hunk. And uh, Josh Keaton did the voice of the younger Hercules, though they had Roger Bart do the singing voice. He's mo- uh, Josh Keaton's mostly a voice actor. Until I read this, I had never realized Hercules has a different voice as a quote unquote teenager, quote unquote adult. I didn't even realize he grew up that much. I thought he just (laughs) bulked up. Uh, Danny DeVito as Phil, very prolific actor that I have seen in many things. Um, Right around this time, he was being the father in the movie Matilda. Which he also directed. Yes, yes. The Penguin in Batman Returns. Heck yeah. So now we've mentioned Batman twice. (laughs) (laughs) I love those movies. They're good movies. movies. I mean, and so many. I'm not going to list Danny DeVito's, like, everything I've seen him in. Even if I just listed the things I have seen him in, it would take too long. Yeah, you know who Danny DeVito is. And also, uh, Musker and Clements have admitted in retrospect, it didn't take them long to settle on. What if the short, gruff guy was played by Danny DeVito? He's (laughs) fine in this. I don't like the character. He's DeVito. Like, love DeVito. Right. And you've already mentioned James Woods as Hades, and he's in a lot of movies and TV, but I really haven't seen him in anything else. Have you? Uh, John Carpenter vampires, but no, not not a ton of stuff. He's and again, he's not in so much recently because he's a he's a lunatic. He's he's a complete conspiracy theorist and evil person who bummer dates teenagers. It's very weird. However, he does a great job as Hades. And I was going to say, he has continued to play Hades up to, I believe the most recent role was uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 in like 2019. So yeah, he's still doing it. He'll come back for that Hades money. (laughs) (laughs) I also think uh, by all accounts, he genuinely liked doing it, you know, which whatever. (laughs) (laughs) He's good. You have to admit he's good, but man. Uh, Susan Egan as Meg or Megara. MVP. Yep. She was Belle in the Broadway musical of Beauty and the Beast. Apparently, she actually applied for parts. You know, she she tried out for parts in all of the movies since Beauty and the Beast, like animated movies. She really wanted to be in one and they never hired her. And they when they you know, she was applying for Meg. They were like, well, we don't want, you know, you have your nice, sweet voice you do for Belle. That's not what we want Meg to sound like. But she was like, you know, please give me a chance. I can do another voice. She was even like more excited when yeah. she found it. Because what she's supposed to be is like a 40s type, you know, the the Barbara Stanwyck type. Yeah. Uh, she's so good in this. She's very she's good incredible. in this. incredible. Her voice is perfect. It's so interesting. It's been a real slice. <laughs> yes, she does a very good job. Bobcat Goldthwaite as Payne. Um, he's a comedian. He is in the movie Scrooge, does Elliot Loudermilk. 
mostly when he does voice acting, it's always this same voice. I don't know if he actually talks like this or if this is just his character he always does. I assume it's kind of an exaggeration. Yes, his voice is kind of similar to this, but this voice is an exaggeration. Um, But he did it like for years. Oh, yeah. And I always think of him also as XL in Buzz Lightyear, too. (laughs) Me too. That's one of the first things that comes to my mind. Yeah, this this voice is an exaggeration. I only found that out, though, literally yesterday. (laughs) And uh, Matt Frewer as Panic, who, if nothing else, Disney fans will probably know as... uh, I don't know if it's fair to say the bad guy, but the kind of mean neighbor in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, Russ Thompson. As you say, he's not the bad guy. He's just the neighbor. Honestly, he's the good guy. He's next door to this inventor who's a real pain in the butt. (laughs) Shrinks his kids. He's been doing a lot of TV lately, but he was also Max Headroom for, you know, people who are older than you will have heard of Max Headroom, people my age. It's true that it's before my time, but I am nonetheless familiar with it. Right. I mean, people reference it and stuff. I'm not surprised you're familiar, but uh, let's see. We're getting down to some of the people who don't have a lot going on. Uh, Rip Torn as Zeus, very recognizable voice. Yes. I I mean, he's good for what they need him to be, which is a big booming voice. Like he does that. Uh, Jim Cummings is 800 people, of course. Yep, like, yep. Same with Corey Burton and Mary Kay Bergman. <laughs> this might be the most pound per pound Cummings. It's ridiculous. It's a lot. One of the funniest ones, though, that I hadn't ever known about is Charlton Heston as the narrator in the very beginning of the movie. Everything about him being in this is insane. But let me tell you. So <laughs> one of the first painful moments of this movie for me, uh-huh. maybe the first is him at the end of his narration going, you go, girl. (laughs) Which is just like, I turned to dust instantly. Like, you made Charlton Heston say, you go, girl. (laughs) It is 1990 late. (laughs) But apparently, I found this article where the directors say that, you know, they the directors checked if he was okay with the lines and he questioned having to say, you go, girl. Right. According to Musker, he was insistent that rather than you go, girl, it should be said, go ahead, young lady. I don't think Chuck was familiar with the colloquialism we were playing with. <laughs> so Charlton Heston obviously doesn't know what you go, girl is. <laughs> so he wanted to say, go ahead, young lady. That's so funny. Honestly, it would have been better. Should have let him do it. Would have been less cringe. Yeah, but it wouldn't have fit with the movie's aesthetic. <laughs> Good. But yes, it's just so funny to be like, go ahead, young lady. <laughs> Why am I telling this girl to go? She's staying. I, the narrator, am I'm leaving. leaving. Indeed. I always forget there is that narrator part because of course I do. just think of it starting with the muses. Comes to nothing. It's the best part. Well, you know, basically they're like, it, it's just giving you the, this isn't going to be a serious, solemn movie, you know, because they this were trying your mama's to make Disney movie. Yeah, they were trying to make a funnier one because they'd had so much backlash about Pocahontas and Hunchback being darker. So they're like, OK, we'll make one that's really funny again. But it's not it doesn't commit enough to being a comedy. The good version of what they're trying to do here is Emperor's New Groove. It's true. That one holds up. When we first saw Emperor's New Groove, we were afraid it was going to be 
the next Hercules where the jokes wouldn't hold up over time, but they actually do. So not only does it hold up over time, but they just go for pure joke a minute. They're like, nothing is real. Nothing matters in in a in a good way, right? Where right, it's like right. again, uh, like Sword in the Stone also does this, which proves that it's not like just of the time, right? Sword of the Stone is like just joke a joke a minute, but the jokes in Hercules are a little too. I wanted to say time sensitive, but I don't know if that's exactly what I mean. It's fair. I get what you're saying. It's also again, it's too sparse. Like there are long stretches of this move, like. You cannot have Go the Distance as a song in a comedy. Right. That one's a little too serious. So we've already basically started talking about the beginning of the movie. Right, let's, let's talk keep about doing the movie. That. It's true because, you know, we're talking about the narrator. So they are the muses. Proclaimers of heroes and they do the song Gospel Truth. I like the artwork here where they're, you know, coming off of the vases or vases <laughs> um, and telling the story with the 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 artwork yeah and all the things that go on it's non-literal yes i do like it very much when they're kind of telling the history i like the way they do this the visual style here and the song it's a great bit i agree this is really fun the muses every scene with the muses is good like full stop yep which you don't really want the best part of your movie to be the narrators <laughs> But it kind of is in some ways. But yeah, I, I always picture in my head like the, the whole gospel truth scene and then they're singing the big, you know, ah, yeah. title comes up, panning up to Mount Olympus. Once again, just open your movie with a caps zoom. Rescuers down under. Yeah. Uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame obviously probably did it best. In Hunchback, though, you're going down through the clouds into the city. And in this one, you're going up through the clouds to the top of the mountain. <laughs> yes, it's all very epic. Yes. Then we meet. Basically, we're having a party for baby Hercules. Yep. First mom status. Hercules mom is Hera. This is important because it's not in the original myths, but that's OK. It is in the Disney movie. Originally, she's his stepmother and she's usually the villain of Hercules stories. But Musker and Clements felt that there had been enough evil stepmothers in the Disney canon. Indeed. But they're wrong because you need one more with Tangled. I guess it's not (laughs) technically a stepmother, but it's an evil stepmother. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're meeting all the the gods, Zeus and Hermes. And there's there's jokes, there's stuff going on. But I didn't laugh at any part in this. Like, I didn't laugh at Hermes being Paul Schaefer. I didn't laugh at, I don't know. I'll talk about, there are parts where I did laugh, but again, as a comedy, I am I felt like we were just kind of sitting there. The jokes fall flat now. They were funnier originally. There were more funny ones originally. How's that? Uh, Zeus does make Pegasus as a gift for Hercules, baby Hercules. Musker and Clements really control themselves in this one. They only have one animal sidekick. Right? Kind of surprising. But Pegasus is just yet another Disney horse that's a dog. Kind of, yeah. The joke should be it's a horse that's a bird, which they do a couple times, and those are the funny... Like, when Pegasus is eating bird seed, that's funny. That is funny. They should do a lot more bird stuff, I feel. Or, you know, find... A more interesting angle than just, oh, it's another Disney animal that's like sentient. So Hades um, arrives at the party, feels a bit like Maleficent coming into the christening. 
You can tell, obviously, he's, you know, not happy, doesn't like Zeus. But he's kind of schmoozing people. He's kind of networking. A little bit, yeah. In a, yeah. In a way that's sort of funny. Hades is, is, the way he talks and acts is is pretty amusing. One thing I was thinking about with this movie, because I think one of my biggest problems with this movie from last night is that I don't really like anyone in it. They're all jerks. <laughs> Zeus has, for some reason that's not explained, sentenced Hades, who he doesn't even think is a bad guy, just maybe kind of a downer, has sentenced him to this job he loudly hates. Right. For reasons that aren't clear. And is too stupid to notice he's done that and never and helps Hercules. Hades is cranky, you know. Hercules's mission is mostly about, like, wealth and fame, and, and we'll get to that part because I have more to say about that. Like Meg obviously is, is kind of a traitor. Like it, it, Phil sucks. <laughs> Pegasus sucks. And I was thinking about it. I was like, I think Hades is the character I feel the most for because he's been <laughs> saddled with a crappy job by Zeus. It's true. That's probably why he, his character has the most staying power from this movie. But it's so backwards. Like Scar, you know, you can enjoy Scar as a villain. He's compelling, but you're never like, oh, Scar. I wish he would win. (laughs) (laughs) No, you don't wish he would win. But Hades, you kind of feel like, man, he's been given a hard (laughs) rest. What did he do to deserve this? Can't he run the oceans for like 1000 years? And that, you know, everybody off with Poseidon. Everybody takes an underworld shift. They don't explain This is the other thing. For some reason in this movie, I know we're kind of bouncing around, but it's all relevant. For some reason in this movie, none of our heroes know that Hades is involved or that he's a bad guy until almost the end of the movie, which is such a mistake. What you need is the Mufasa scene at the beginning of Lion King where he's like, hey, Scar, you're obviously evil. Don't do evil stuff like I only let you exist as an act of mercy because you are a bad guy who does bad things. Yeah. So even if they just had some sort of throwaway something where Hades is complaining, you know, I've got this actual job in the underworld, whatever that you saddled me with, then, you know, Zeus says something like, well, maybe you shouldn't have whatever. Right. Maybe you shouldn't have destroyed Whatever you did. Right. Just pick something, anything, make something up. They're making up the mythology for this movie anyway. Yes. Just go all in. Yeah. But instead, yeah, Hades is, you're like, yeah, go ahead, beat these jerks, whatever. <laughs> and and here, like, again, Zeus, Zeus is like, ha, work yourself to death. And everybody laughs at him. Like, it feels like I'm supposed to like Hades in that scene. Like, I'm supposed to like Zeus. They don't do a great job of making you fall in love with who is our supposed to be our main characters right at the beginning. No. Uh, then we have another a reprise of the gospel truth that uh, is uh, basically Hades style, where we're, we're being told Hades deal. It's a dirge sort of style, and we're getting told his deal, why he's upset and his job and what he does, what his plan is, how he wants to take over Mount Olympus so he can rule. And we meet... Pain and Panic, his uh, minions. And I hate to spend our fifth movie in a row being like, this movie doesn't know what its tone is. But following up the dirge with all this pain and panic, stabbing each other in the butt, it's a lot. 
And also they turn into worms, which I always thought was creepy. It's setting up that they can shapeshift, but for, I don't like the pain and panic worms. Maybe because they're Gerald scarf drugs, so they're creepy. <laughs> they are creepy. Uh, the fates have come to visit Hades, the three women who can see the past, present, and future. And they have all kinds of nasty business with their one eyeball. It's a compelling idea that they all share one eye, but and that's what they use to see into past, present, and future. Yeah. But it's just for gross-out jokes. Yeah. And again, Hades, Hades is right, because he's like, will you three please keep it together while we're having a meeting? <laughs> so they do a prophecy that... 18 years from now, there's going to be this uh, planetary conjunction that will allow Hades to open up the prison where the Titans are imprisoned and he'll be able to release them and conquer Olympus and then he can be the king. But if Hercules fights, he, Hades will lose. So I do think Hades bursting into flame is really fun. When he loses his temper, it's amusing. The fire was a scarf idea, and it's a great one. And it yeah. was very expensive to constantly animate flames on a moving character. I'm sure. But it's so worth it. It and is. yes, whenever he gets angry and it turns red, great visual idea. 10 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, of course, ha tells his minions to... Turn immortal. Give give this uh, mortal mortality potion to baby Hercules, turn immortal, and then kill him. And then he won't be able to, you know, fight back. Which they start doing, but they he doesn't drink the last drop. Ma and Pa Kent show up. Uh, <laughs> and then baby Hercules beats up Pain and Panic. And then we get a last reprise of the gospel truth. And we're finally done setting up this movie. <laughs> Ma and Pa Kent, I forget, they have names. Yeah, Amphitryon. And I, can't, I don't know how to pronounce her name. Alcmene? A-L-C-M-E-N-E. -E. Maybe, but he literally calls them Ma and Pop. So, of course. And and they are so this is where it's really Superman, of course. Indeed, where he's uh, been separated and is adopted by farmers, basically. <laughs> and Zeus and Hera, who, by the way, were sleeping with no guards posted. Anybody could just walk in, steal that baby. Yeah. Except only gods can go there, except pain and panic can, but whatever. For some reason, they can only watch Hercules. They can't intervene, which again is like, I would hate for this movie to have more exposition, but it's like, why? Right. Well, because he's been turned more mostly mortal. And why don't they guess that like, oh, hey, remember that guy who showed up at the baby shower yesterday and was loudly talking about how much he hates you? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should start, you know, you like, wouldn't you, you know, be interrogating people, be like asking around like, hey, only gods can come up here. Like, let's talk to every god. Maybe <laughs> starting with the one what got shark teeth. Yeah. And lives in a skull. So new mom status. Uh, he's adopted now. Yes. <laughs> so he's got, you know, multiple moms. So time passes and Hercules is now a teenager. At least going by my interpret. I mean, he is a teenager, but by yes, my he interpretation, he's younger teens still. But he's too strong for his own good. Yeah, he's taking the place of Penelope the mule. He's carrying the hay in. He knocks over the Musker and Clements cameo. Yeah. And 
this is my first laugh is he picks up all the hay, then he sets it back down the cart and he launches Penelope into space. <laughs> yes, that is pretty funny. Pretty uh, funny, especially I think the sound design in this movie is quite good overall. Like, can't you just hear like Hades bursting into flames? Right. And, you know, all this stuff. And <laughs> the sound design <laughs> of the mule going. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. But the kids call him Jercules, despite the fact that he could kill them with a thought. He knocks down the whole market. Yep. The entire Agora is destroyed. Everyone hates him pretty reasonably. Yeah. Again, you should be like, oh, they're being so mean to poor Hercules. Instead, you're like, wow, you really knocked down the whole like that's hard to build this ancient times. (laughs) You can't just pour cement. Yeah, you should at least help fix it. What with your God strength? Indeed. But they don't want him to help fix it because he doesn't fix very well. He's a breaker, not a fixer. He wasn't raised right. I'm sorry, but mom, pa, Kent, you gotta, you gotta, you, you gotta, gotta teach, teach him them. to be. Yeah. Superman gets raised better. That's all we're saying. He does. He <laughs> totally does. Uh, and so then uh, he, he sings Go the Distance, which is a song I really like, but this movie doesn't deserve. Um, and even like the actual lyrics of it that I was reading while doing the podcast song, like he's talking about, I have often dreamed of a far off place where a great warm welcome will be waiting for me. And the crowds will cheer when they see my face like Superman, Uh right? Which this guy's trying to be. Superman decides to use his powers to help people. He's not trying to get back home because his home's destroyed. He's not trying to get back to his dad because his dad's dead. But he wants to help people. Like he has a good person and a good drive. And he's a nice guy. Mm -hmm. Nobody in this movie Ever just does anything nice. Hercules will eventually like have his big sacrifice and a couple of big heroic moments. Right. But he's wanting the acceptance without earning it. He wants to become a god. He's literally only helping people on the path to godhood. Like even when he saves what he thinks are kids later, even Meg comments on like, wow, you're really broken up about these two kids that are imperiled, aren't you? Mm -hmm. And he's doing like the big, I'm putting on a show voice. Like, all right, kids, like, don't do this again. Mm -hmm. Like, You don't ever see him be like, oh, I'm worried about people. Right, he he isn't. I care about humanity. We need to take care of that. Like, the end of the movie could be if you want him to renounce his godhood, not just that he does so for Meg, maybe that's part of it, but like, He's like, I want to stay on Earth and help people. You guys are up here. You're worthless. (laughs) You appear to just be sleeping all day. (laughs) And I want to, like, continue to save life. Like, that would be the Superman choice. Exactly. I can't have what I want. That's even the choice Christopher Reeve has to make in the movies they're most specifically adapting. Is like, I can't have what I want because I have a responsibility. Indeed. To save people. That's not Hercules' journey, and it really should be. (laughs) Yeah. So he gets told here of his foundling status by his adopted parents. So he goes to the Temple of Zeus. They give him the uh, the S, I mean, the (laughs) symbol of the gods. The medallion he was wearing as a baby. I did always think it was funny that he's a very... A chubby baby and then he's like this skinny scrawny stick you know as he's grown <laughs> you didn't put on any weight between that baby ball and, yeah. and, and scrawny weed 
It's true. It's true. Uh, and how, like, and how? How can he be exercising? What will strain <laughs> his muscles? Indeed. But yeah, then he goes to the uh, Temple of Zeus. Yeah. I mean, Fortress of Solitude. I mean, Temple yeah, of Zeus. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Statue comes to life and tells him about his true parentage. Not like, you know, sit down, you're in for a shock, but just like, my son, yay! Yes, <laughs> and this is where he goes, someone stole you from us. And I and I was like, they don't know it's Hades? In my head, as a kid, <laughs> I'd always been like, well, obviously everyone knows Hades is the bad guy because he's the bad guy. Right. But no, he's like, someone stole you from us. Uh-huh. We could have spent 15 years figuring out who. But now nah, we're just, <laughs> you know, drinking nectar. <laughs> <laughs> Which again, like you can make the movie be about that, yeah. about how the gods are are have lost their way and they're not helping humanity or or whatever. You whatever. know, that's very Greek. Uh huh. Whatever. Uh, Pegasus is back. Yeah, Pegasus is back. You gotta prove back. yourself. Go see Phil. Only gods can live on Mount Olympus. The only way you can become a god again is to become a true hero, whatever that means, and go to Philoctetes, the trainer of heroes. And so Pegasus takes. Hercules to the island where Phil is living and he's a satyr, kind of a goat man. And we're introduced to him being a creep. Yep. But I mean, he's a satyr. It's kind of the way they were. But yeah, they don't have to be. Yeah. The Titans in this aren't much like the Titans. It's true. This is, though, intended to be a deliberate reference to the pastoral symphony of Fantasia, (laughs) which I I did think about. So mission accomplished. What that was missing was a Short little creep played by Danny DeVito to be creeping. (laughs) So we've got we find out that, you know, Phil is not wanting to be a trainer anymore. He had a dream as well. And his dream. He wants this super specific thing. It's true. His dream is very specific. He (laughs) dreamed of training a hero so great that the gods would put his image in the stars and everybody would look at it and say, that's Phil's boy. <laughs> Phil trained that which, guy. Not which would, <laughs> that's so-and-so, that hero that we all know and love. No, that's right. the hero that Phil trained. And he goes through, you know, all of the other Greek heroes that you might have heard of and saying he trained them and how they failed. Yeah, a lot of yeses. Uh, the Achilles has has haunted him and will come <laughs> up again later. Yes. The funniest part to me is when he's like, none of them could go the distance and uh-huh. Hercules face lights up like I just sang a song about how I can go the distance indeed <laughs> great screenplay no notes <laughs> yep and of course he's like I no way am I going to train you but he gets zapped by lightning from Zeus and so he's like okay I'll do it good joke and you know it's yet another one of the my answer is two words and it's not two words yeah because he says okay instead of no way Yes, but I do think that's a good joke. I think this song is not very good. I think it's insane that the songs in this movie are Meg gets the romantic ballad on her own. I mean, the muses are there, but like Hercules isn't involved. Hercules gets his I want song. Yep. Three songs with the muses and then Phil. Like (laughs) this movie cries out for a villain song. But it doesn't get one. We get... One Last Hope, which is a, basically a training montage song. And they do a karate, karate kid, kid joke. joke in the middle of it. Well, I mean, it's a training montage. I'd be, be glad they didn't do a Rocky one also. I know. I, 
I'm shocked. I'm shocked that they didn't do a Rocky one. They should have had him running up some steps and doing this. Like, you just know. Yeah. By the end of the training montage, he's grown up. 18 now. He's 18. Honey, you mean Huncules. Uh He has a cape and a. he's put the big symbol on his chest. And do you get it? Well, it's more like a belt buckle area. But yeah, he's wearing the symbol. And he wants to go to Thebes for some... Real life practice, not just training. He's like, I can do it. Let's go. Let's go. And so they decide to go. And there's two different parts of this movie where Phil is talking about what a bad place Thebes is. And I was waiting, pencil ready. I know. For him to say it's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Like, just do it. You're not above this. Even if they'd done something in that uh, rhythm, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's a wretched hive of scum and sorcery. I don't know, whatever. And Pegasus is so gross. Like, throughout yeah. so much of this part, this is where we're getting, like, drooling and licking, and I just don't want it. But finally, we meet the closest thing this movie has to a good character. <laughs> a character who is saved by a great song and a great voice performance and who you cannot think about too much or what she actually is in the script. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Meg. Yep. Meg is, they, they hear her kind of screaming. They think she's a damsel in distress. I always liked how she says, I'm a damsel. I'm in distress. I can handle it. <laughs> yes. It's that's, what's great about her is that she's a very competent woman. Yes. And also that she can be mean. Like there aren't a lot of women in Disney movies, even like we talked about Esmeralda's a stronger female character, but she's still nice. She's totally pure of heart. God help the outcasts. Yeah. Whereas again, Meg, Meg is mean and, and it's fine for a woman to be mean. You don't get to see that too much. Of course, everybody in this movie is mean. <laughs> so it kind of in this movie, it feels kind of exhausting because everybody's at that same pitch, just in my opinion. But She's good. She's the best version of it, for sure. So she's uh, kind of fighting with Nessus, who is a river guardian. And um, of course, Hercules fights it off for her. And Pegasus gets jealous of Hercules paying attention to Meg. My favorite Danny DeVito line reading, use your sword! <laughs> Another thing I dislike about this scene is that Phil creeps on Meg again. You know, I'm real too. And then immediately afterwards, he's like, why were you making Google eyes at the girl? And it's like, well, what were you doing, Phil? <laughs> While he was fighting. Yeah. 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 We were laughing. There's so much Yiddish in this movie. So much. It's very <laughs> odd. Yeah. You really notice it. And we find out after Hercules and everybody moves on back off to Thebes that Meg is working for Hades. Uh, we don't get the full details here, but she's basically sold her soul to him and she's being forced to do his work and he, this is where he finds out that Hercules is still alive. And he was trying to recruit the River Guardian, which is like, for why? Well, for his big plan to take over Mount Olympus, apparently. He has the Titans. But I guess he wants extra monsters. <laughs> <laughs> All monsters, please. Plot does not need explaining. Plot just is. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And then they go to Metropolis. Yeah. The big all of itself. I guess maybe that's why they don't do Wretched Hive, because they're too busy doing New York jokes. Indeed. The people of Thebes are, you know, in a hard way, in a bad way. And they don't believe in Hercules when he says he's there to be a hero. They're like, yeah, we don't need an amateur. 
Another big Isaac laugh. They say, what's next? A plague of locusts and a single locust hops up and they're all like, that's it. We're leaving. <laughs> I'm moving to Sparta. <laughs> it's a single cute little grasshopper. <laughs> grasshopper. And Jim Cummings clearly plays two of these characters. Oh, and definitely. they frequently talk to him. Yes. You can't let Jim Cummings talk to himself. <laughs> we love Jim Cummings, but he in none of these movies does he do voices that are different enough for him to be talking to himself. He had the same problem with Pocahontas. I'm sorry. One <laughs> one and done per scene with, with Jimmy C. Okay, so we've got uh, we've got the kids. Another kind of funny joke of somebody called IXII. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The kids are, of course, pain and panic. Uh, I already talked about why I don't like this part, but it's all to set up a fight with a CGI Hydra. Indeed. And the Hydra doesn't look great, but it's okay. I have to say, though, this is close to my favorite scene. I actually really like this. I think, yeah, the CGI doesn't look great, but it holds up well enough. We've seen worse in these movies for sure. Yeah. Maybe I just like it because it is, again, like they get... It it does have a lot of mobility in it. A lot of the early CGI stuff is bad because it's less expressive than animation. Mm -hmm. They do get a lot of movement. They light it crazily. And I still don't think this is a great scene. I don't like how it stops dead in its tracks three times for people to cheer for Hercules and for Hades to make comments. Yeah. But this is, I think, the best action scene in the movie. And it's the only part that feels like you're watching a Hercules movie. It's the only part where, like, he's fighting something. He overcomes it. It's, you know, he's chopping heads off, which is surprisingly gnarly. Yeah. There's, like, nasty green blood and ooze. And it's exciting. And I do like that. Like even the final battle, there's a lot that's annoying about it. And neither side feels very invested. Like neither Zeus nor the Titans feel very invested in having a big battle. And Hades constantly undercuts it by making stupid jokes from the (laughs) side or not even jokes, just going like boom, bada boom. (laughs) And This is just like, this is just a thrilling action sequence. And I like it because again, that's like, that's Hercules. Yeah. I do think uh, Hades making comments for watching from above. He always seems like he's somehow managing to watch from nearby, but he's invisible to everybody else, though they don't make that clear. But that's just my interpretation. Right. I do think it's amusing that he's watching like that. But of course, Hercules does win against the Hydra eventually. After, you know, trying the head chopping thing way too many times so that it took years for them to animate this <laughs> in the computer. Right. Which on the one hand, again, it's yet another thing that makes Hercules seem stupid, but it's worth it for the visual of the sea of heads. It is. It is. And yeah, Hercules is pretty dumb. He's so dumb. He sucks. I hate him. He just hasn't got very many brains. Wish he got at. To be clear, I'm Team Hydra in this scene. <laughs> this is a Greek tragedy where the noble Hydra is cut down by some guy. <laughs> Crushed with rocks. And then, of course, Thebes loves him. And we have the Zero to Hero song, which is a good song. And this is, a, I think, a really funny um, scene as well. It's, again, the muses singing the song. But all the merchandising and royalties and all the silly Things when he's, you know, 
defeating the monsters jokes, they do kind of work for me still. I have to say this is my favorite scene Mm -hmm. because I love a lot of the visuals of the song, like where their heads are, you know, like they're split screen with their heads turning quickly. Yeah, yeah. And like every time I think about this movie, the first thing I think of is this song. Like whenever I think of her, even this morning, I was like, okay, we're doing the episode of Hercules tonight. I immediately got my head. Bless my soul. Hercules on a rope. (laughs) I'm against you only on, I don't like the merchandise jokes. I think air Herc is hack. (laughs) I think the credit card is hack. (laughs) I think the Disney store thing especially is like, This movie can't criticize merchandise because it exists to sell merchandise. Like the action figure Hercules holds up in a moment. You could buy literally that action figure. (laughs) I read. Like, yeah. And again, we had like, there's the McDonald's jokes earlier, you know, over number served and and the, the soda cups and the little toys and everything. And like, this movie doesn't feel like it's making jokes about merchandising. It feels like it's taking a break to show me all the great Hercules products <laughs> available in stores now. I mean, I, I just think that's funny still, though. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But this this has to be my favorite scene. I It's it's my favorite of the Muse songs and the Muse songs are the best part. Yeah, it's my second favorite scene. So clearly, you know, Hydra fight in this. This is the best part of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. And then so after, of course, Now Hercules has beat up a whole bunch of monsters. Yes, I love that, too. This is where we actually get the the 12 trials sort of kind of sort of kind of. Yes. If you're familiar with the 12 trials, you'll see several of them here and be able to recognize. Including after the song itself, Scar as the (laughs) killed Nemean Nemean lion. lion. Yes. Yes. He's Hercules is wearing the pelt of Scar. He'd make a very nice throw rug. (laughs) <laughs> it's an insane joke. It's a it's a very funny joke. But before we see that, actually, we see her Hades, of course, yep. extremely upset because everything he's thrown at Hercules just hasn't worked. And he decides he's going to send Meg to find out Hercules weakness. And I'm pretty sure this is where we find out her tragic backstory, where basically she the guy she was in love with was sick or dying or something. And she sold her soul to Hades for a cure for her boyfriend. And then her boyfriend left her for somebody else. Um, And she's, you know, stuck being Hades servant. And so that's why she's, you know, trying to work her time off. Yeah. Great. Who cares? Yeah, I should care, but I don't. They did a good job animating her face when he's like telling the story, I think. Yeah, it's true. And she definitely... You know, I got to give her this. It's a far more sympathetic motivation than Hercules or Phil's. Yeah, because she was doing what she could to try to save someone she loved and then they left her. And so, of course, she's abrasive and harsh because her heart was broken. You know what? I think I'm being a little unfair to Meg because that is good. It's just that by this point in the movie, I was like, stop with the exposition. Just make jokes. But you know what? Yeah, it's this is good. So Meg sneaks into Hercules' villa, his gigantic villa. Stupid. Yes. We have a stupid, you know, like a Beverly Hills star tour joke, you know? Yeah. Outside where it's like, here's the mansion of Hercules. Yeah. And so that she talks him into sneaking out and playing hooky from his training or heroing. And they have a date, basically. 
off screen they have this date. Yes, they do. Which you need this. If 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 Hercules' entire final act is gonna be defined by his love for this girl, we need to see him love her. I, I mean, I know later he's kind of like infatuated while he's doing chin-ups and stuff, but <laughs> we need to really see like at least, at least, Musker and Clements did this right with Little Mermaid where we get the little date montage. Perfect. That's enough. Just give us a little, let me hang my hat on something. Instead, it's like, let's go on a date. Cut to, boy, that was a great day we had. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? And then we, what we do see is Meg turning on the charm to try to get Hercules to tell her whatever his weakness is. And of course, he doesn't have a physical weakness at all. It's Meg. Meg's the weakness. It That's is. The and then we have, and when he leaves, we have the song, I Won't Say I'm In Love. Great song. That Meg sings with the muses. I love this song. This is my favorite scene. I can't argue with that. <laughs> it's got the muses singing. It's got Meg. And I just think, I even from the first time I saw this, the I Won't Say I'm In Love, even though I really am, is a great joke. Yes. If I had watched this for the first time as an adult, I feel like this would be my favorite scene. Yeah. But the high energy zero to hero, that's what stuck with me and what I will always have the most fondness for. I will say the zero to hero or even the gospel truth is the song, the songs I'm going to get stuck in my head first when I think about this movie. But this is still my favorite part. But this is terrific. All the statue stuff is so clever. The Haunted Mansion reference is actually a good reference. Yes, I love the Haunted Mansion reference. Disney can reference Disney. Mm-hmm. You can always get away with that. Yeah. And the song itself is is just excellent. Yeah. You swoon, you sigh, don't deny it. Oh, no. Yeah. And the, the ending, of course, with her. At with least the flower. out loud, I won't say I'm in love. And Susan Egan, again, a Broadway star, so she can really sing and really act with her singing voice. Yeah, great Tremendous, job. great stuff. And then Hades, of course, shows up at the end and Phil sees Meg with Hades because he accidentally got left behind. Because he fell off of Pegasus and Hercules wasn't like, oh no, my friend, because he's an idiot. He's a chump. And he's like swooning over his, you know, thinking about Meg, whatever. Dumb, 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 dumb. It's so sweaty just so he can be here and, and, and see, see Meg this. with Hades. And so he thinks Meg is voluntarily working with Hades, where if he'd stuck around and watched, she's actually refusing to help him figure out the weakness, even if it means. She has to be his prisoner forever. And then Hades, of course, realizes, oh, I'm pretty sure I know what his weakness is. It you. (laughs) Right. Which I again, I had always assumed like, oh, he's sending like just in my head. I'd I'd written it as like, oh, Hades is sending Meg because she's obviously his weakness. I forgot that she's first said to find out his weakness. And then Hades. it's again, it's it kind of feels like an extra step. Everyone in this movie is dumb. Yeah, but we do have the two best voice actors acting against each other in this movie here. And like, I especially love her going, you know, you can't beat him. Yeah, like that whole little speech again. Egan is incredible. But yes, of course. uh, So we're at the stadium and uh, Pegasus is eating bird seed until he's distracted by a hot Pegasus. Lady Pegasus. Do not need it. Do not want it. <laughs> Looks kind of like a My Little Pony with the uh, little 
heart on its rear end. One male character in this movie hadn't been creeping on anyone, so they fixed that. Yeah. Um, And of course, it's pain and panic luring him away and tying him up. And then Hades comes in and makes a deal. Hades does come in and make a deal. But first, we have one of the lines in this movie that is like the the most eye-rolly for me, which is because it's played like such a serious winning line. Like this is the emotional crux of the that turns us into a third act. But it's him. It's Phil going, thought you were going to be the all time champ, not the all time chump. Oh, yeah. So here's where uh, Hercules and Phil argue and then Phil leaves. Right. We have one argument. It's the end. It's over. When they've, again, just been yelling at each other the whole movie. Yeah. But he's trying to convince Herc that Meg is a fraud. Yeah. And of course he doesn't believe and it's a whole thing. But you're right. Hades finally interacts with our hero. They make the deal. This has, I feel like a bunch of the most famous Hades lines, like the definite trailer line of, you know, I can't say the whole thing, but it's like, ah, oh, we schmooze, we go home. Yeah. We schmooze, we go home. Yeah. What do you say? And this is the one moment where Hercules admits that people outside his immediate eye line exist where he's like, people are going to get hurt if I do this. And Hades is like, yep. And he's like, okay, well, that's I'm I'm still good with it. But how do those people? But, you know, basically, he's like, don't think about those people. Think about Meg. And he does, which, again, is the opposite of the Superman choice. Indeed. Annoying. So and of course, Hades is a liar. So he immediately like breaks his heart and is like, ah, Meg was lying the whole time. You just traded all your powers for nothing. Well, I should probably kill you, but I'll be back. Let somebody else do it. Uh, It's funny because you can see how Herc now is a different color now that Hades has drained his strength. Yep. Though the important thing is that it's conditional on Meg doesn't get hurt. Hercules gives up his strength for the day while Hades goes and frees the Titans and sends them after Zeus. And the first reveal of the Titans, I was like, all right, this is really cool. And then, uh, guys, Olympus is that way. And I'm like, oh, never mind. I thought something cool might be happening, but no. Make sure to undercut any moment that might land. This movie is so, like, self-conscious. Even... At the beginning with the fates, like another thing I I noted and forgot to mention was Hades. You know, the fates start giving the prophecy and Hades is like, oh, we're doing verse. And it's like, stop making fun of the movie while I'm watching it. Just (laughs) let me watch the movie. Leave it alone. So the one Titan, the Cyclops, is sent to kill Hercules. Right. All the rest are fighting the gods who have not prepared for this in any way. And at all, they are, you know, completely being overrun. And I just wrote down and I stand by this in my notes. Why do we care about the gods? Like, what are they doing in Olympus? Like we need a the gods are keeping X in balance. If the gods are toppled, this bad thing will happen. You know, right, right. What's what's this future with Hades in control going to look like that's different. Right, because the gods don't seem to be doing anything, which the Greek gods, you know, it's not that they don't do anything, but they are largely indifferent to human affairs. Like the Greek mythology is having a god isn't great. (laughs) It's a thing we all have to deal with, but it's, you know. So again, it's like, well, who cares then? 
So Hercules is getting himself killed. Meg goes and brings back. Very slowly slowly. and inefficiently. Because mostly what we're doing is making fat jokes. Oh, indeed. Because the Cyclops is very fat and flabby. Yep. And Meg goes and brings back Phil to try to talk Hercules into um, fighting back or not dying or (laughs) anything. (laughs) Phil does manage to, you know, tell Hercules how to fight back, defeat the monster, whatever. Basically, without his strength, Hercules is just giving up. But they do talk him into, you know, oh, you can actually be a hero without it. So he defeats the Cyclops, but Meg gets hurt. Yes. So Hercules gets his strength back. And she explains, you have your strength back because I got hurt. That always would have broken the curse. At which point I pointed out, so, and... My brother was watching it with us and he simultaneously pointed out, so why not just as soon as Hades leaves, smash your toe into a rock, stub it and get him his power back? (laughs) Well, we wondered if maybe it has to be something related to the Titan, but still, you know, stub your toe against the Cyclops. (laughs) (laughs) Kick the Cyclops. Kick the Cyclops in the foot and break your foot because it's probably very difficult to kick it. You just you said it exactly right earlier, Mom, when you said that you're making up the mythology for this movie anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Make it up right. Yeah. And then at one hour and 15 minutes into (laughs) this movie, we get the line from Zeus. Hades, you were behind this. (laughs) Yeah. As he's being like buried in lava. (laughs) It's like, man, no wonder Hercules is not smart. (laughs) Oh, you would have hoped Hera would have a few brains, but apparently not enough to pass on. Hera, goddess not appearing in this film, by the way. (laughs) True. So then, of course. Hercules goes and battles the Titans. Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. His appearance on the scene allows the other gods to break free and suddenly they're able to fight back effectively, whereas before all of their fighting back was pointless. Just don't think about it too much. He doesn't save the day. He doesn't like fight the Titans and defeat them. And, you know, this isn't Herc's moment. He saves the other gods. They now, for some reason, they were defeated instantly earlier. Now they're able to rout them. The lightning bolts that were doing nothing now are able to take big chunks off the rock titan. Yeah. And then after they are fleeing and defeated, Hercules throws them away, you know, sucks them up, fishes them off. But he doesn't save the day. And this is so rushed because we now have to get to a fourth act. Yep, because while he's off doing this, Meg actually dies. So Hercules decides to go to the underworld to try to save her. So, of course, he's breaking in and makes another deal with Hades. Defeats Cerberus off screen. We love doing things off screen in this movie. We don't have time for that. (laughs) Like, that's a whole other (laughs) battle. And he says, if I can get Meg out of the river of death... I will stay here forever and she goes free and can be alive. And of course, Hades is like, you know, you'll never make it to bring her out. But because 
Hercules sacrifices himself to save Meg. That is enough for him to become a true hero and his godhood is restored. And when he would have died, he in fact instead becomes a god and cannot die. So then he has a glow and he brings her out of the river and Hades goes down the same way Scar did, like exactly the same way Scar did. Except I don't think Hades gets killed. He is a god also, so he's not going to get killed being in the river of death. He's just, you know, inconvenienced for a little while. I don't know. I I thought that the fact that the dead people are grabbing him, which they weren't with Hercules, they're just letting him chill. I thought the fact that they're grabbing him and the final line about if he gets out was supposed to be that. I Who knows? You're right. It doesn't make any sense <laughs> where we can debate any way we want because it doesn't. This movie doesn't explain anything, but we're. Back up to Mount Olympus because the the mark of a true hero is that you're willing to risk it all for some broad. (laughs) Or, you know, a Greek god anyway. Yeah, again, not that you care about people. It's true. I mean, if you say it as sacrifice yourself for other people, then okay, that sounds good. But, you know, any all of his other sacrificing himself, even his fighting to try to help save the other gods didn't count. That wasn't enough. He never has anything but disdain for the people of Thebes. Anyway, but it's, it's not about the size of a hero's strength. It's about the strength of his heart grown. <laughs> and of course, he chooses not to be a god. He's like, no, I will make this brave sacrifice. I will no longer be a god. I will merely be the strongest man who's ever lived. I will be human to stay with Meg. Though, you know, some people I I saw several uh, arguments about whether or not he is still a god and is just, you know, not using his god powers and stay so he can stay on Earth or whether he is completely not a god anymore and is just the strong human or like you could interpret it so many ways. And that's another thing I just thought of. I said too early today. Wow. The more you think about Hercules, the worse a movie it is. Like, I just realized (laughs) What is he so mopey about in the first place? Like, yeah, the kids call him Jercules. You know what? I got called worse growing up. You have a great family and you're the strongest man alive. Like, you've got it pretty good. Like, because the whole thing is like he finally gets to be reunited with his, you know, birth father and mother. Yeah, that's kind of sucky. Ma and Pa Kent (laughs) are way better parents and people. Like, why do you need to go hang out with like again maybe that could be the lesson of this movie right is it he's like oh i want to be with you gods but you're jerks i'm gonna stay with my nice family on earth well and what he does say is you know i found where i belong is with meg and that's where i want to stay but again screw my adoptive parents who (laughs) raised me anyway so then we have the last song a star is born which i have even though it is a song that the muses sing it's not one I remember very well, and I've already forgotten it again. My girlfriend didn't watch this with us, but I was talking to her about it afterwards, and I was like, what do you think of Hercules? And she's like, oh, I love that movie. The songs are great. And I was like, I will give you $50 right now if you can sing one line of the final song. She could not. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's it's all right. I got to be honest, listening to it today, I was like, this is actually a good song, but it is forgettable. That one's forgettable for some reason, but it's called A Star Is Born because Zeus puts a constellation of Hercules in the sky to honor him. And Phil's dream, his very specific dumb dream, comes (laughs) true. 
When somebody says... Only to pay that off. Indeed. When a guy who we've seen throughout the whole movie knows who Hercules is, says, that's Phil's boy, not, hey, that's Hercules. Well, it's the it's the same Thebes townsman, I'm pretty sure voiced by Jim Cummings, who oh, yeah. at, originally said, hey, isn't that the guy who cha- trained Achilles? Right. So... It comes full circle. So if he knows who Phil is, but yeah. The only reason any of this happens is to pay that off. Yeah, it's a, it's a stretch. And the song continues into the credits. And then we have the credits cover version of Go the Distance sung by Michael Bolton. It's fine. Yeah, it's it's not terrible, but I don't really love that song. So they were really playing that song, like pushing that song hard for an Oscar for for best original song, but a little movie called Titanic came out. <laughs> Oops! And then there's a little stinger from Hades at the end, so that's why. Also, why I think he's not dead. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Fair enough. You're probably right, but <laughs> it doesn't bode well that I couldn't get correct the ending of a Disney movie <laughs> for you know over twenty years. But yeah, singing from the mountaintops, the movie's done. (laughs) Oh, you actually remembered a line or two. (laughs) That's all I have. Anyway, uh, now it's time for sequels, spinoffs, remakes, rides, and reboots. You mean hunk boots. Hunk boots. Air herk boots. Yeah, sequels, spinoffs, remakes, rides, and re-air herks. (laughs) I hate the air herks, too. Anyway, let's make it quick. So... Even though this movie didn't do very well, all of the uh, spinoff stuff was already in pre-production to the point that Tad Stones, who we've talked about extensively, who is the showrunner for the Hercules TV show, started working on it while they were making the movie. And Musker and Clements joked to him, hey, Tad, we're doing a pilot for a series. <laughs> well, and the series came out the very next year, 98. Uh, and it was the they did this and then they did the Atlantis one. And then that was the last uh, TV series based on a Disney movie for a little bit. Like, obviously, you know, not until they completely changed their channels and you had like Disney XD and everything. And you had like the Big Hero 6 Entangled series. Well, no. What about Lilo and Stitch? Oh, you're right. Lilo and Stitch did have one. I had two, <laughs> I think. Or they had one series and a movie. I forget. There was a lot of spinoffs for that. Wait for Buckle that. Buckle up. That is that is one of the most extensive spinoff sections. Yeah, it's, it's a true. little teaser. This is this is up there. Lilo and Stitch is insanely up there with Winnie the Pooh, and I can't wait to talk about it because it's really fascinating. But so you're right. Okay, they did they did that one. But this was the last like every single one of these gets a show or at least attempts to have a show yeah. of, of this style run by Ted stones as part of the Disney afternoon, which is not going to exist for much longer. Yes. Let me put it that way. That is true. At any rate, the premise they came up with for the show is a really bad one, <laughs> which is in the training montage during Phil's song. Yep. He went to high school. He went to a Poseidon Academy. It's Prometheus Academy. That's it. Thank you. Yes, it's a it's a prequel to the movie Alien Academy. And <laughs> he learns how to not run sideways when a big wheel is bearing down on you. But he I don't know that Hercules could figure that out. <laughs> what they should have done is just what they did for the Aladdin series, which is it's after the movie. Yep. Additional adventures, especially based on what you said about Hades being alive, because I thought like, well, they want Hades who James Woods did come back. They want Hades and he's dead. 
So they but no, if he's alive and you're right, I think he's alive. Then they should have just done it because one of the biggest problems this show has and I've watched several episodes of it. It's on Disney Plus. It's rotten. (laughs) Oh, and I should say to launch the series, they put three of these episodes together with a very loose framing device showing another off screen moment of the movie. Hercules is on his date with Meg and he's like, boy, I remember when I was training. To be honest, I think the it's called Hercules Zero to Hero, the, the three episode movie. I think that actually came out in 99. You're right. It, it was released in 99. So I guess it was after, which is even weirder. Yeah. So it's like they took three of the episodes of the animated series, slapped them together with this framing device and we're like, here's our direct-to-video sequel, prequel, midquel, whatever it is. There were apparently plans at one point for a direct-to-video sequel that would have taken place after Hercules with Hercules and Meg having a child and there being adventures with that, but they didn't ever make it. So I'm pretty sure that got canceled when John Lasseter came on and was like, all these Disney Toon direct-to-video sequels we're planning, just kill them all. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's what happened to Hercules 2. Yeah, so Zero to Hero has never been released uh, post-VHS. I couldn't even find a uh, legal-ish copy to watch. Not that I really would have wanted to, but I would have done my duty. I bet you could have just found the episodes on the animated series. You wouldn't get to see the framing device, but... Probably, but the framing device is where the juice is. Anyway, so (laughs) this series is bad. It's really bad because, number one, setting it in this training montage means that you can't have Meg. Except apparently they do have Meg in a couple of episodes. I'm not sure how they do that. What I saw was they did. I did not see any episodes with Meg. Uh, I did actually see some listed. Let me find the information. You're probably right. I can't say I did the deepest dive I've ever done in my life, but they can't have Meg as a main character. Indeed. So they instead replace her. By the way, I don't know about you. I've watched this show a couple times as a kid. I never liked it. As an adult, I like it less. Yeah. But they replaced Meg with Cassandra. And more than that, Hercules' best friend is Icarus, who has gone crazy from flying too close to the sun. Right. Played by French Stewart, unfortunate, who's just screaming. Every line with Icarus is just him screaming and being quote unquote crazy. Yeah. Right. Which So it's just him like doing random stuff as loudly as possible. He is so annoying. I have not hated a character as much <laughs> as Icarus in this for a long time. Okay. So the episode with Meg at the end of the episode, the water from the river Leith falls on them and they both forget. Oh, great. Great. Something like that. Stupid. Yeah. And the other episode she's in is actually kind of a clip show episode that takes place after Hercules, the movie where they're married and talking about remembering, you know, when they were kids. Mostly what the show is, is it's a mix of lazy high school jokes which they would do again with the Emperor's New School. What what was with all the high school? Sh- I mean, I feel like maybe it's this one was taking off of like 90210 and then that one was taking off. Uh, Emperor's New School definitely happened because of Kim Possible, I think. But anyway, the, uh, leaving that for a later date. So it's like a mix of his like high school jokes, like, oh, they're going to prom. 
they show all the other Greek gods, right? Because Scarf designed all those other gods and they're really cool designs and you never see them. You don't. But mostly what they do is they double down on the pop culture stuff. Like one of the episodes I watched is called Hercules and the Techno Greeks, which is all about him going to Abacus Valley and dealing with the information super aqueduct. It's it's rotten. It's rotten to the core. <laughs> I really hated this show. It's not one of the worst things I've seen only because the standards of sequel spinoffs are so painful now <laughs> that you got to work. But if I had seen the normal number of Disney direct to video things, this would be one of the worst things I'd seen. The one thing I was going to talk about, the one episode I did watch that had anything at all going on in it is episode number 57, Hercules and the Arabian Night, the crossover with the Aladdin show. (laughs) Yeah. And like a lot of the Hercules Aladdin stuff is not that interesting. But what's good about it, the premise of the episode is Hades is just doing stuff in the underworld. He's planning another tech on. By the way, that's another weird thing about these series He's not trying to kill Hercules, which is what he should be doing. He keeps trying to take over Mount Olympus. So if you buy this as canon to the movie, he had this plan with the Titans. He was going to kill Hercules. Then after he found out where Hercules was, he got distracted for like three years. Weird. Yeah, because that's not that's not what. That's not the vibe in the movie at all. The vibe in the movie is I'm still trying to kill Hercules, but it's not working. So he's he's making another plan. Pain and Panic show up and tell him we've got like a corpse. A, a dead spirit has arrived in the underworld who's being unruly. And it's Jafar right after the events of Return of Jafar. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious setup. And so b- they agree basically... Hades is like, you get my guy, I'll get yours. And all the stuff with Jafar and Hades is quite funny. I have to say they got back Jafar's voice actor. um, And of course, Hades is James Woods. And as the episode goes on, it's more and more just the two of them talking. I feel like while they were writing it, they're like, wait, there's only one good idea here. Yeah. There's a lot of funny stuff about how Jafar is an actual cackling maniac who's passionate And Hades is like an evil middle manager where he's like, no, no, no. You send henchmen to do that stuff. (laughs) Like there's one part where he fails to kill Aladdin and Jafar is like, you know, we have to do something about this. And he's like, I guess we'll, you know, I'll send the Hydra over. Like he's looking through the day planners of his various monsters to see who's free. And Jafar's like, he humiliated you. Don't you care? (laughs) He's like. Listen, I'm doing a lot right now. Like the the idea of Hades being a business like villain and Jafar <laughs> being an obsessive maniac is it's a really good specific like well-observed joke about what's the difference between these two villains. The episode overall is still not worth watching cuz it's an episode of Hercules the animated series, but if you're going to pick one, that's the one. Easily <laughs> that's the one. Alrighty then. They have, of course, announced the Delarm. Yeah. Who knows when it'll come out? It's still in potential. Because they announced it right before COVID. So, of course, production's been weird. I'll say they won't. Every Delarm is bad and they will always be bad. But you could do this movie better, right? Because this movie clearly is not a movie that is like, 
Like the Lion King one, it's like, well, you can't improve on the Lion King with Hercules. It's like, yeah, give it another shot. And it has human characters. You're not going to be looking at awful CGI, although I shudder to think what Phil will look like. (laughs) I was also saying they should just cast Danny DeVito as Phil again. Like, just do it. Put goat legs on him. I mean, Phil is probably supposed to be pretty old. He's trained and lost all these other heroes and retired. (laughs) And DeVito's still doing stuff and he's still funny. Like, why not? Yeah. He is. But yeah, like this alarm could be good. I don't I have no faith that it will be. Let me say that because like Christopher Robin, every so often they get one. But right. And what I had seen is they weren't going to try to do a shot for shot, but they were going to be like uh, inspired by. <laughs> well, they always say that I don't not gonna... usually see that. A lot of times what I do see is mostly shot for shot, but better, which is not true. You know what? I'm always rooting for. I'm always rooting for movies to be good. Right. So I hope it is. They did do a uh, musical version in 2019. Took a while, huh? Yeah. And apparently they are still planning a musical version for Broadway. I saw Alan Menken said something about it, you know, either this year or just end of last year. So that potentially that is still in the works. So who knows? There might be that coming down the road. They did do a uh, a video game, Hercules action game, one of those action games like all the other ones that were coming out around this time. If I'm not mistaken, they did a few video games. Yeah. Of course, Hades is in the villainous game in the Once Upon a Time. Uh, there's a, a sort of a uh, Hercules reference on the new DuckTales where they have a character called Storkules. Oh, yeah. I actually saw that at least the first episode with that guy. Yeah, it was it was OK. In the parks, of course, there used to be more things when the was closer to when this movie came out. There used to be meet and greet characters Used to be, you know, of course, stuff seen in parades or whatever more often. Occasionally, you still see stuff referenced in parades or phantasmic or but very rare. Most often, the only references to this movie are going to be references to Hades. Hades is a very popular villain and you're going to see Hades much more likely than you're going to see Hercules or anyone else. That's very true. He he continues to be, you know, a villain who's around. And again, James Woods is always willing to come back. Yep. I wonder, though, I know a lot of like women my age who grew up and like loved Meg and she was so inspiring to that. Obviously, we talked about why she's one of the best characters. I wonder if it'll be like a goofy movie like They'll have more Meg stuff. In fact, sometimes you can see Meg with the Disney princesses, even though she's not a princess. Sometimes she's around. Occasionally they'll do stuff with her. Sometimes you can find a little bit of merch, but it's still more likely to be Hades with the other villains than any of the others. Agreed. And you know what you'll never see? What's that? Hercules. (laughs) Nobody cares about that guy. Yeah. I have to say, I looked up the uh, costumes, the park costumes. They look good. Hades looks good. Pain and Panic look good. Meg is, of course, just a a human woman in a good like cosplay. Like it looks good. They managed to do her hair kind of justice, even though her hair is animated in such a way that it's like Mickey Mouse's ears. You know, it's never in her face. It always just kind of rotates on her head however it needs to be for the shot. (laughs) So we don't rate these movies on numerical scale. Five out of ten, by the way. We (laughs) 
ask each other two questions. Mom, would you recommend this movie? <laughs> Your five out of ten is very, uh, I'm feeling it. <laughs> yes, but not very highly. So it's like, I wouldn't say, don't watch this movie. It's terrible. What I would say is, if you feel like watching it, sure, there's some good stuff in there. It's not great, but, you know, it's not terrible. <laughs> it's right in the middle. <laughs> I agree. I was thinking about this question earlier today, and I was like, I wouldn't prevent someone from watching it. Right. I wouldn't. If somebody was like, I'm thinking about watching Hercules, I'd be like, sure, why not? There's some good stuff in there. I wouldn't say, oh, no, don't do it. Yeah. If somebody was like, should I watch Hercules? I'd be like, you're fine. <laughs> if a friend of mine, if a trusted companion was like, I'm going to go watch Fox and the Hound, I'd jump in front of them like, no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it is a shame, you know, because again, like I don't enjoy being the cynic. I really, really don't. Mm -hmm. And this, this, this one did mean a lot to me as a kid, which is the next question. Would you show this to a child? Definitely. Yeah, it's fine for kids. And I did obviously show it to my children and kids are probably going to be more amused by it. Hopefully. I mean, some of the jokes are going to go over their heads, but there's still enough silly stuff going on. They'll probably get a kick out of it. I wish I still loved it. There's things to love in it, but it just doesn't come together. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it uh, for Hercules. Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, if you have any questions for us, if you'd like us to follow up, maybe you want to ask me about specific episodes of Hercules, the <laughs> animated series, you monster. <laughs> you can write it to the mailbag at memommouse at gmail.com. That's M-E-M-O-M-M-O-U-S-E. At gmail. At gmail.com. <laughs> Donald Duck. You can, <laughs> and you can email us there and you can ask us uh, any question. And if it's good, we'll answer it. And if not, we won't. <laughs> so you never know. But uh, we would love to do another mailbag episode sometime. We had a blast with that first one. Check it in your podcast feed. Uh, but next week, we will be ending the Renaissance era. And finally, we've we've had a disappointing run of films. But coming up next is 1998's Mulan. Before we get into the experimental era, Mom, what do you think of this movie? Will our podcast bring honor to Mulan? I don't know, but it is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> it's a good one. So until next time, I'm me. And I'm Mom. And it all started with a mouse. Honey, you mean mouse <laughs> <laughs>